who continue to speak to us through your word. We give you the highest praise, and we love you. Amen. You can take a seat, and Mr. Tom Rowe is going to come up and do a little announcement. Good morning. So I'm Tom, and I uh, wanted to share with you an opportunity uh, to welcome and care for new international students um, and scholars as they arrive on the UW-Madison campus this fall. So uh, many will be flying into the country here in the next few days. And on September 5th, um, an organization called the Madison International Student Ministry Team, which is really a number of organizations that come together and work together to do some things. Um, they sponsor uh, the tour of Madison uh, to help acc acclimate and welcome new students. And so uh, an opportunity for uh, folks would be we need volunteers to drive students. Uh, so in your vehicle, bring your vehicle and drive students on a defined tour of Madison. And then uh, we need volunteers to be readers of a script. So you would ride along in, in a car and explain different sites uh, in Madison. And at the end, um, there's an opportunity to participate in a post-tour um, reception at a local home in uh, Madison. Uh, and it's just a fun time to have conversations with students and enjoy some refresh refreshments. Um, so for me, uh, being involved with um, this and other uh, similar events has been really a rich experience um, to learn about all other cultures and to develop meaningful relationships, and uh, which really brings opportunities to care for students by lending a hand or by giving advice uh, and, and certainly around finals to give them some encouragement. Um, and that's given opportunities to have, for me to have some great conversations uh, with students to be able to share my faith, and which for many of them is, you know, they've, they've not heard the gospel before. So if you'd like more information, um, that is going to be January 5th, I'm sorry, September 5th. Uh, if so if you'd like more information uh, on the information booth, uh, Colette, Cook and myself and Barb will be out there to answer questions. And if you'd like to get signed up, that would be that would be great. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Good morning. My name is Andy, uh, one of the pastors here, and thank you for joining us for worship. By the way, I just want to say thank you to everybody that showered our family with such generosity and gifts at Corinne's uh, baby shower a few weeks ago, and thanks for those who planned it and put it on. It was, it was really great. We feel really loved uh, by you guys and by your generous gifts to our family. So thank you. Um, we're looking forward to welcoming a little baby girl in October, and so that'll be a whole other world. Anyway, um, a couple of more announcements before I jump into Scripture with you this morning. Uh, after this service is Pizza with the Pastors. Uh, if you are new in the last 12 months, we'd love for you to stick around for that. Even if you're not new, but you want to get to know some of the newer families or people, uh, come on out for that, and it's, it'll be downstairs and uh, immediately following the service. Also, um, school supplies, this is at that time of year. Thanks for everybody that dropped stuff off with Stuff the Bus, um, and we're also collecting supplies for Lighthouse Christian School in Madison, 
and for uh, Lakeview teachers. If you're a teacher, and part of our church family, a teacher, a teacher's aide, or you work uh, for the school, any school system, uh, let us know, because we'd love to bless you with some school supplies uh, directly. Um, and then the last thing is next Sunday, uh, after this service, will be the congregational meeting. Um, and so come out for that. We'll be presenting Jesse Bariga. He's, he's our part-time uh, youth pastor. We're, go- we're going to present him as a full-time family ministries pastor and add some additional responsibilities onto his plate. So um, I'd love for you to hear about that and then vote on that at the, at the meeting next week. Um, that's all I've got as far as announcements go. Um, we will start Uh, We're starting a new sermon series today, and I have a little bit longer introduction before we get into scripture, but let me, the series is called Half-Brained Christianity, Uh, and so let me, let me set it up this way. I, I read a book recently, and in the opening chapters, the author was telling a little bit of his own story and experience and testimony, and it, it really resonated with me and my experience, and it, it's probably a similar kind of experience for many of you, um, and so I'll tell you my story. Um, I went to a small Christian college in Hannibal, Missouri. It's where I met Corinne, and um, our whole college was basically like a giant campus ministry. So if you went to a bigger school, you were in InterVarsity or Crew or Navigators. Or, uh, like our whole college was like that, basically. It was a, it was a great uh, school, great Christian environment. And uh, I was surrounded by uh, Christian friends. And I experienced exponential spiritual growth and development in the, in the four years that I was there. Like, it, it just felt like I was sprinting towards Christ. Uh, I was growing and growing and growing like a weed. And then I finished school, got married, uh, got a job as a worship pastor at a church, and my spiritual development went from a sprint to a crawl. Uh, I, and I don't know why. Why did I grow so much in the four years that I was at college? I grew more in that four-year period than I did in the next 12 or 13 years afterward combined. Why did I grow so much in college and grow so little in the church? What was the deal? What, how does that work? And that's the same question that uh, Dr. Jim Wilder and Pastor Michael Hendricks wrestle with in their book, The Other Half of Church. And, uh, you know, credit where credit's due, uh, that's kind of the, the theme behind our series, Half-Brained Christianity. So they ask the question in their book, why do some Christians grow in some contexts but not in others? Why do some churches produce life transformation in their disciples and others don't? And you can, you can look at two churches that from the outside look very, very similar. They have similar doctrinal statements. You go to their worship services. The music is very similar. They both preach God's word. They both love Jesus. They have similar types of programming, Bible studies and small groups and youth group and children's ministry. And yet one church is producing life-changing spiritual formation and the other church feels spiritually stagnant. And you say, what is the difference between those two churches? They're pretty much the same, right? Well, they were doing some research into this, and they came to some very interesting conclusions. And just to give you a little background on the authors, Dr. Jim Wilder has a PhD in clinical psychology and a master's degree from seminary. 
and he runs a Christian counseling center, and he does research in brain science and psychology, and he studies in peer-reviewed journals and all this kind of stuff, so he's an expert in that field of brain science and psychology. Uh, Pastor Michael Hendricks also went to seminary, and then he got a job as a discipleship pastor for over 30 years. So they're coming to this, at the same question from slightly different perspectives, and they were working together, and what they found out, the conclusion they came to is that the reason one church produces life transformation and another church might not is because one church is probably relationally rich while the other church is relationally poor. The reason that I grew so much in college and then grew so little in the church is because the, relationally, the relational environment of college is very rich. The relationships are real and they're very, they're very deep, right? And then you get into the church and it's just kind of like a spiritual business, right? And so this makes a huge difference. One church that is relationally rich is loving God with all of their mind and the other church is loving God with only half their mind. Uh, And and let me explain a little bit. Um, In the book, they talk a little bit about brain science and how God created our brains to work, specifically in the area of character formation. And I want to share a little bit of their research with you. It might get a little nerdy, but hang in there with me. We'll, We'll jump into scripture in a few minutes. God designed our brains in two halves. We have the left side of our brain and the right side of our brain, and they do different things. All of us use all of our brain. But the left side and the right side do different things. So the left side of our brain manages things like conscious thought, speech, strategies, problem solving, logic, and stories. It's the realm of conscious thinking and acting, right? The right side of our brain is pre-conscious thought or subconscious behavior. The right side of our brain manages things like sensory information. What am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I hearing? What am I tasting? What am I touching? Six times every second, your senses are sending that information to the right side of your brain and it's processing that and then it's assessing your environment. Where am I? Am I on the plains of Africa with a lion chasing me? I better run. Or am I sitting in church? I better go get another cup of coffee, right? One of the two things. So six times a second, your brain is processing, the right side of your brain is processing this. The right side of your brain manages your emotions. It, It manages relational attachments to other people. It manages group identity. Who are my people? And individual identity. Who am I in this context? That is all happening on the right side of your brain, not the left side. And so uh, what Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks uh, discovered and what they published in their book is this. The right side of our brains manages our strongest relational connections both to people and God and our experience of emotional connectedness to others and character formation. Don't miss that. Character formation is governed by the right brain, not the left brain. If we want to grow and transform our character into the character of Jesus, we must involve activities that stimulate and develop the right brain. The reason why churches often produce so little growth is because most churches focus almost exclusively on left-brained discipleship activities like sermons, Bible studies, books, podcasts, 
right? Because we all grow up thinking that uh, the way that my character develops is that I learn information and then I apply my willpower to that information and try really hard to live it out. The Bible tells me not to lie. So how do I stop lying? Well, I need to read 15 verses about why lying is bad, and then I need to apply my willpower to tell the truth and force myself to speak truth and try really hard and work really hard. And if I keep lying, it's because I'm not trying hard enough. And actually, that goes contrary to the gospel, where we don't work to earn anything, right? Jesus invites us into the Sabbath rest of Christ and God's Messiah. So how does this work? We Churches focus almost exclusively on left-brain discipleship activities and they end up being relationally poor, loving God with only half their brains. It's half-brained Christianity. And the thing is, character formation requires engaging our full brain. Both halves. We need sermons. We need Bible studies. We need Bible reading plans. We need these things. And we also need relationally rich environments that stimulate and develop the right brain because character formation is governed by the right brain so we as a church need to create environments that have a family feel that are family level relationships environments that feel like home where people can grow up into maturity in christ at lakeview church we're pretty good at left brain activities We have good Bible studies, we have good Bible reading plans, we do these things, and we're good at those. God is calling us into a season where we intentionally invest in developing right brain activities. Not to the exclusion of the left brain activities, but we add on to them the right brain, the whole brain. And that's what we're talking about, developing these relationally rich environments where we can know and be known, love and be loved. And the authors of the book uh, identify four components of a relationally rich environment, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. Those four components are joy, loving attachment, group identity, and healthy correction. So we're going to talk about joy this morning, and this sermon series is a little bit different. We'll be jumping all over the Bible. Uh, Usually I like to pick one passage and camp out there, but uh, we'll be jumping all around. All the scripture will be on the screen for you. You can also follow along in your Bible if you want. Um, We'll start with in Ephesians chapter 4, so you can find that. But first of all, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about joy, and we need to define what joy is. What is joy? And here's a secret. Joy is not another word for happiness. Happiness is an emotion that you feel when something good happens. I was out trout fishing and I caught a 21-inch brown. Woohoo! I feel happy about that, right? I got a new job and I got a promotion and I got a raise. Woohoo! I feel happy about that. My kid came home. Hey, mom and dad, I proposed to my girlfriend this weekend. We want to get married next year. Woohoo! I feel happy about that. Right? Those are that's the emotion of happiness. It's a great feeling. Joy is something much, much, much deeper than that. And I have a, pe- a lot of people uh, say to me, you know, why does God give us the rules that He gives us in the Bible? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Why does God say that you should not have sex outside of marriage? You shouldn't have sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before you're married. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Why, does God, why would God put those rules on my life? Doesn't God want me to be happy? 
yes, God wants you to be happy, but he also wants something more for you. It would make my kids very, very happy if they had Skittles for breakfast every day. Why does mom and dad not let me have Skittles for breakfast? Don't they want me to be happy? Yes, but I also want them to be healthy, right? And and so there's something deeper. There's a deeper happiness, a greater joy. And that's what God wants for us. It's not just happiness. Happiness is great, but God wants our joy. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Here's a good definition of joy from Dr. Jim Wilder. Joy is relational. It is what we experience when we are with someone who is happy to be with us. That's a different definition. Think about that for a minute. Joy is what we experience when we are with someone who is happy to be with us. Joy does not exist outside of a relationship. Joy is primarily transmitted through the face, especially the eyes, and secondarily through the voice. Happiness is an emotion that you feel when something good happens. Joy is when you are with someone who loves you. It's a different experience. It's a deeper experience. We can't have joy apart from a relationship with others or a relationship with God. You can imagine joy like this. If you if you've ever had kids, when you uh, when your kids were little and you get home from work or you've been gone all day running errands or whatever, you get home and what do your kids do? Daddy, you're home. Daddy, come pick me up. Daddy, let's come play dinosaurs with me. Daddy, you're home, right? And their faces light up, and they're so excited to see you because you just got home. And that feeling that you have, that's joy, right? When when. <laughs> when you go to a friend's house for supper and you walk in and their face lights up because they're happy to see you. What you experience, that's joy. When you get a phone call from an old friend that you haven't seen in years and you hear their voice on the other end of the phone, that experience is joy. It's what we experience when you're with someone you haven't seen in Sorry, it's what, you, what we experience when you're with someone who loves you. And it's primarily through the face and also through the voice. That's what joy is. That's the, what we mean by the word joy when we're talking about this. It's not just the feeling of happiness. Uh, and so let, now that we've kind of defined our terms, let's go through and talk about why joy is important. What's the big deal with joy? Why do I need joy? Uh, first of all, joy fuels healthy growth and development. Joy is to the mind what gasoline is to the car. Like real cars, not those electric cars, you know. <laughs> I just well, EVs are real cars too. Uh, joy, joy is to the mind what gas is to a, a dirty car and electricity is to a clean car, right? Whatever, I don't know. Anyway, we're politically correct or not, I don't know. Anyway, joy fuels healthy growth and development. If you have a car that runs on gas and there's no gas in the car, your car's not gonna go anywhere, right? God created our brains to run on joy. If you don't have any joy, or you have low joy, your brain's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to develop much. Joy fuels that healthy growth and development. We see this. This has been uh, studied for decades in infants. 
Babies that are born into relationally rich homes where they are loved, where they are snuggled, where they are cuddled, where they are held, where their parents look them in the face and go, Ooh, you know, and sing to them and smile at them, their brains develop differently than babies that are born into relationally poor environments. Maybe they're orphans and they're in an institutionalized orphanage where there aren't enough caretakers and they're left in their crib for hours. And they don't get the FaceTime and they don't get the snuggles and they don't get the songs and they don't get the cute smiles. Those children's brains develop in a different way. And this has been scientifically studied for decades. Kids that in their first year of life do not get enough FaceTime and affection, oftentimes as teenagers and young adults struggle with attachment disorders. It's it's true. It's proven. Even if they were adopted at age two, by parents who love them, they can still struggle with attachment disorders because their brains did not develop in a certain way. Joy fuels healthy growth and development. Now that's true in babies. That's also true spiritually. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says, so we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. We're no longer to be children, immature, but we're supposed to grow up into maturity in Christ. And how do we do that? By practicing the truth in love. We can't practice the truth in love unless we have people to love and who love us. We have to have one another to have that joy that fuels our healthy growth and development. Following Jesus together in relationally rich environments that are full of love and joy will fuel our growth. It will help us become mature in Christ. Now remember, we're not talking about happiness the emotion you feel when something good happens. We're talking about joy, the experience you have when you're with someone who loves you. Many people grow a lot through seasons of suffering when there aren't good things happen and they're not experiencing the emotion of happiness and yet they grow a lot. How does that happen? Well, that happens because of the second point, joy gives strength in the valley of the shadow of death. Proverbs 23, 4, even though I walk through the, or, uh, Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. God's presence is with you in the darkest valley and his presence with you gives you that joy. Joy is what you experience when you're with someone who loves you. God loves you and he's with you and his presence with you gives you strength. It gives you joy to get through the darkest valley to overcome the evil. In fact, you can endure anything in life if you have enough joy. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross. If you have joy, you can get through anything in life. When you go to the doctor and you hear the C word, 
cancer or you get some other diagnosis that you didn't expect. When you lose a loved one unexpectedly or a parent has to bury a child. If you struggle with chronic insomnia, when you lose a job, parenting a teenager, Whatever the difficult season or challenges there are in life, if you have joy, if you are experiencing that journey with people who love you, you can get through that valley. This is why God created churches. This, a lot of people say to me, I love God, I believe in God, but I don't need the church. Why would I go to church? We do need the church because we need one another to love one another and to walk with each other through those challenges. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, For just as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. And then a few sentences later in verse 26, it says, if one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. If a member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a member of it. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. We were made to go through life together and that connection gives us joy that provides strength even through the valley of the shadow of death. Joy fuels healthy growth and development. It gives us that strength in the darkest times and joy deficiencies lead to problems in our lives. Low levels of joy contribute to a number of very serious issues in life. Uh, Dr. Wilder talks about that a lot in the book. When, we're, when our joy is low, we, we tend to struggle more with things like depression, fear, anxiety, lack of motivation, despair, and in serious cases, suicide. And by the way, all of those things are at all-time highs in our society right now. We live in a world that has more money than we've ever had in the history of the world, that has more social media than we've ever had in the world, that has more entertainment than we've ever had in the world, that has more opportunities than have ever existed in the history of mankind. And yet, we have more depression, more fear, more anxiety, more despair, more lack of motivation, and higher levels of suicide than have ever existed in the history of the world. So all of the stuff that the world says, this is what is good in life. This is what brings you the good life, right? All of that stuff doesn't work. It doesn't bring us the joy that we need. And when we have low joy, we struggle with those other things that many, many, many people struggle with. Another problem of joy deficiency is that we tend to seek joy through pseudo joy or false joy. There are many things out there that exist in the world that, will t that, that are false joy. They give our brain the same joy sensation, but it doesn't last. It's temporary, it's shallow. 
And if our, if our Christ-centered healthy joy is low, then we'll tend to look for joy in these other ways. Things like alcohol, pornography, substance abuse. If our joy is low, sometimes we look for joy in sugar or comfort food, in shopping, through our screens and our social media, through our hobbies. Oh, if I could just fish a little bit more, then I would be happy. Right? Or through our career. Or through money. If I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a little bit more status, then I would be happy. Right? Or, or through self-help and self-therapy. Or through unhealthy relationships. We seek joy in these false joy sources that often lead us deeper into despair and sometimes into addiction. Dr. Wilder runs a Christian counseling center and a lot of his patients are addicts and he he says uh in the book that as they're counseling these people they work on increasing their healthy christ-centered joy and what they find is a lot of times their addictions are broken the power of that alcohol or the power of that substance or the power of that pornography is broken in their life because suddenly their brains have the joy that they need and they don't need those false joys anymore Joy deficiency leads to problems. So if joy is so important, it's necessary for healthy growth and development. It gives us strength in the shadow of death. Low joy causes problems. The big question is, how do we cultivate Christ-centered joy? How do we get that joy in our lives? And that's where I want to close the message with this morning. Two quick ways to cultivate Christ-centered joy. First of all, Christ-centered joy comes from true friendships in the church. So many people say, I'm spiritual but not religious. I don't like organized religion. I don't need to be part of a church. I've got God. Who else do I need? Well, God created the church because joy is what we experience when we're with people who love us and you can't have Christ-centered joy unless you have real relationships with other Christians. It's so important. I I think that's why uh, love one another is one of the most often repeated commands throughout the New Testament. Let me just give you a few of those. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said this, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say, everyone will know that this is how you're my disciples. You have the best Bible studies in town. Everyone will know that you're my disciples. You have the best preacher in town. You have the best music in town. Everybody's going to know that you're my disciples. You had an Easter egg hunt. 500 people came and you put scriptures in the eggs. Everybody knows. No, that's not what he said. Everybody knows that you're my disciples by this. If you have love for one another, right? That's how people know. Just a a little bit later, in chapter 15, Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Here it is. This is joy. My commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. And a few sentences later, he repeats that this is the command I give to you to love one another. The apostle John picked up on this teaching and wrote in the letter of 1 John, chapter three, verse 11, for this is the gospel message that you have heard from the beginning. What is the gospel? Here it is. 
that we should love one another. And a few sentences later, he says, now this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he gave us this commandment. A few paragraphs later, he repeated that instruction. Verse 21, uh, and the commandment we have from him is this, that the one who loves God should love his fellow Christian too. The apostle Peter 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, Above all, keep your love for one another fervent because love covers a multitude of sins. Now I could go on and on and on and read more and more and more passages like this. But I think you're getting the point. We need to love one another. I was talking with somebody recently who shared a, a story with me that so fit with this message. And uh, I'll change the names so that we don't know who it is. But anyway, I was talking with this person and he said, My wife asked me to get into her phone and look up a phone number of somebody from church to call and, and, uh, and see what it, uh, something. And so he said, I was, I was going through and I was looking, we'll just say the, the contact's name was Georgia. I don't think we have any Georgias here. But, uh, so I was looking for Georgia and I found Georgia and her contacts and here's how she had put it into her phone. First name, Georgia. Last name, church friend. That way I can distinguish which Georgia I'm calling, Georgia church friend or Georgia coworker. And he said, when I was scrolling through that and I found that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, wouldn't it be nice if Georgia was more than just a church friend? But if Georgia was a real friend? Like a friend outside of this building? You know, not just a friend for an hour on a Sunday morning, but a friend Monday through Saturday? A real friend? And isn't that what we're trying to get to as a church? Four years ago, We had an elder retreat. We spent the day in prayer. The Lord spoke to us, telling us what he's calling us to do as a church. And we we wrote a bunch of things. And one of the things that we wrote was this. Our aim is to have true friendships. We aspire to be a people whose love for one another and others is genuine and sticky. We believe that disciples are mentored through intentional, authentic friendships. Our church friends are our true friends. The church is our spiritual home, and we are members of the family. Now, we wrote that four years ago at an elder retreat, and then in 2020, they published their book and didn't cite us. (laughs) That's okay. It's confirmation that what God was calling us to then is still what he's calling us to now. We need true friendships in the church to have Christ-centered joy. When I was a kid, we used to sing this little song called Bind Us Together, Lord. Anybody ever sing that song? It goes kind of like this. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Oh, bind us together with love. I wonder if you would sing that with me and pay attention that this song is actually a prayer. A lot of our songs are actually prayers that we're singing to God. So uh, Lord, would you answer this prayer and bind us together as we sing this prayer to you. Sing this with me. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Oh, bind us together with love. 
Christ-centered joy comes from true friendships in the church. And number two and and final point, Christ-centered joy comes from God's face. Comes from God's face. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You lead me in the path of life. I experience absolute joy in your presence. You always give me sheer delight. Now it says, I experience absolute joy in your presence. That's how we've translated it into English. In the the literal Hebrew translation is this, there is abundance of joy with your face. We've taken the word face in Hebrew and translated it as presence because we think that makes better sense in English. It doesn't make much sense to say, I experience absolute joy with your face. That's kind of awkward for English readers. But the idea is not just that I am in the same room as God who might be busy helping that person over there and not even notice me. The point that the psalmist is making is God's face is shining on me. His eyes are lighting up when he sees me. His mouth is smiling because I'm there. And God is delighted to see you. He loves you. And when you walk in the door, he says, you're here. And that's the joy that we experience in front of his face. It kind of brings a new light on the blessing from the book of Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Joy comes from sitting in front of God's face. This is why we gather for worship. We're not just punching our good Christian card and then going home to watch the Packers game. We're coming here so that we can sit in front of God's face and his face can shine on our souls. Stephen, you'd be watching the Vikings game. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. I'd be watching the Chiefs game. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Joy comes from sitting before his face. This is why prayer is so important. It's not just about presenting all my wants and needs and, and don't forget Aunt Matilda's ingrown toenail that's bothering her again. Right? It's about being in front of God's face. And, and maybe I don't even say anything. Because God already knows everything that's in my heart. But I just sit while he smiles on me. So I want us to practice this together. I'm going to invite Bo uh, back up. Uh, We're going to practice sitting before God's face. And then I'm going to lead you through a a joy meditation that you can do anytime. Uh, But while Bo sings this first uh, few minutes, let's just sit and imagine God's face smiling on you try to visualize his eyes lighting up because you're here and his smile of affection for you
now that we're focused on your face shining on us, would you speak to our hearts as we do this joy meditation? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This is a simple little joy meditation that you can do anytime. Uh, if you had a rough week, rough day, you've gotten a bad diagnosis or some other bad news, before you sit down on the couch and turn Netflix on and turn your brain off, take five minutes and walk through this joy meditation with the Lord. So I want everybody to close their eyes. And I want you to remember a time when you experienced joy with God. It could have been when you were hiking on a mountain trail and you looked out and you saw the beauty of his creation and you knew that God was there with you in that moment. It could be when you were at a birthday party, surrounded by people that love you and are praying for you, and you experienced the joy of the Lord in that moment. Just whatever memory it might be, take a moment and remember that. And as you're recalling that memory, I want you to relive that experience. 
And I want you to pay attention in the midst of that to what your body is doing. Do you have chills up your spine? Do you have butterflies in your stomach? What is the physical reaction of your body to that joy? And as you're reliving that memory, I want you to ask the Lord right now, what did you want to say to me in that moment? What did you want me to know? And allow God to speak that truth into your heart right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for meeting us in those moments, even when we didn't realize it was you. Giving us joy because of your love for us. And I pray that you would remind us to turn our eyes to you, to look full in your glorious face. And all the cares and the stresses and the anxieties and the worries will just fade away while you pour joy into our hearts. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live in us, in our physical bodies. Your Holy Spirit lives, and so we are never alone. We are always in the presence of someone who loves us unconditionally. And if someone here doesn't have that experience, if they just surrender their life to you and receive Jesus Christ as their great God and Savior. Your spirit will live in them and they will never be alone again. And I pray that somebody would choose that today. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.